You're listening to a podcast on Catholic Saints. This podcast is produced by the Augustan Institute, an apostolate helping Catholics understand, live, and share their faith. Hello, welcome to Catholic Saints. My name is Mary McGeehan. I am joined with Dr. Chris Mooney. Thank you for joining us. Thanks, here. Mary. Thanks for having me. It's a joy to learn from you here at the Augustan Institute. We are going to talk about another life of the saint today. We're going to focus on St. Elizabeth Ann Seton. Uh, her feast day is January 4th. And we were just mentioning how she is such a well-known name. So many people know of her, yeah. at least her, her name, but sometimes we don't actually know her story or where she came from or what, you know, how, what impact she made. So... Where should we start about Elizabeth? Yeah, I was wondering the same thing because she's a <laughs> remarkable saint. Um, yeah. So there's so many things that we could say about her. And I think this is one reason why she's so well known. She is the first U.S. citizen to become a saint. Okay. Um, she founded the country's first Catholic girls' school and the first American congregation of religious sisters, which is still exists today, the Sisters of Charity. She is, mm -hmm. I was kind of struck by all the that things that she's known as the patron saint of, patron, patron saint of Catholic schools, patron saint of winnows patron saint of the loss of parents and patron saint of the loss of children, hmm. patron saint of people who are ridiculed for their piety, patron saint of people who have in-law problems. Really? Um, <laughs> and it's because, uh, as I hmm. think people will hopefully can get a taste of, um, you know, listening to this, she lived a remarkable life. Um, yes. But one of the things that I'm drawn to that I, I think, at least I would, I would, one place where I, I think would interesting to start is to recognize that she lived in some ways um, a very a seemingly ordinary family life, but surrounded by much suffering. Hmm. So when she, um, when she was just a toddler, her mother and her younger sister died. Um, when she, and then her stepmother, uh, her father married again, but her stepmother later abandoned the family and her. Oh, wow. um, when she got married uh, at a young age, um, soon after she got she got married at 19, soon after she got married, her father-in-law died. And her father-in-law had many young children. And so she and her husband um, moved into their house and took care of their kids. Then um, a few years after that, her husband died. Hmm. Um, and when her husband died, she was 29, and she had five children, all of whom were eight or under. Um, but what's... In fact, actually, when her when her child when her husband died too, she was in Italy away from four of those children. Oh wow! Okay. I'll say a little bit more yeah. why in a moment. But um, the reason I mention these things is because one of the things that stands out to me, thinking about the life of Saint Elizabeth Ann Seton, there's so many mm -hmm. things that we could go to, but yeah. how so much of her life looks like an ordinary life that was beset by extraordinary suffering, mm. which she she responded to with a great trust in God. Um, and I think all the if you if you see the context of the the mm. the kind of suffering that she endured um, and her response to it, it can give us a much greater appreciation for her as a saint. Yes. Um, yeah, you know, with also all of these great things that she's known for. Yes. So no, that's great. It, all that she is a patron of help exemplify the width and breadth of where she let God transform her her life and her tragedy mm -hmm. um, as places of yeah. grace. 
So, and where did you said she's American? Yes, I'm assuming East Coast. Yep. Is it yeah. New York? So, or great or question. Yeah, she, she was born in New York City. Okay. Um, in 1774, so two years before the Declaration of Independence, um, mm-hmm. and she was born to a, a, um, a well-to-do family in New York City. Um, they were uh, socially, you know, well connected, mm-hmm. um, and uh, were fairly prosperous. Her um, her father was a surgeon and was the um, I think the chief health officer of the Port of New York. Okay. Um, and her mother um, was well engaged in sort of the society of New York City. Her grandfather had been um, on her mother's side had been an Episcopal priest. Um, and when she was married, when she became married at age nineteen, it was to another um, uh, well-known and prosperous family in um, uh, in New York City, the Setons. Mm-hmm. Um, and so. Um, and she also, though even at a young age, she was known for her very strong uh, devotion as um, as a member of the Church of England, um, mm-hmm. for her lo- and and also for her love for the poor and accompanying her stepmother on um, on uh, charitable work that she did in the city in caring for the poor. Um, I mentioned earlier that mm-hmm. when her husband died, they were in Italy, so. Although they had this very um, th- this marriage that, by all accounts, was very happy, um, and um, was you know that their lives together were were going very well. They had, you know, again married at um, nineteen, had five children within less than ten years. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a kind of shadow over their marriage, um, a kind of twofold shadow: um, mm-hmm. difficulties with her husband's business and difficulties with his health. It, um, it turned out he had tuberculosis, and one of these ideas that they had as a family was uh, to go spend time in Italy with one of his business partners, um, a family called the Felicis. Um, and uh, Antonio Felici was the, the, one of the business partners. And so they decided to move uh, just the three um, old, uh, sorry, the, the, just three of them, um, Elizabeth, her husband William, and their oldest daughter, went to Italy hoping that the warm weather would help to, to give him some relief. Mm. Um, but met immediately with great suffering there. Uh, they were, um, because of concerns about health, um, not actually related to the tuberculosis directly, but um, they were put into quarantine for 30 days. Um, and meanwhile, his health continued to deteriorate. And it was after they got they were released from quarantine as a family that he died, uh, two days after Christmas in 1803, wow. when she was, as I said, 29 years old. Um, hmm. And the Felici family, whom they had go- gone to to be with, immediately took them in. You can Elizabeth um, Saint Elizabeth left us these great uh, diaries, and you can already get um, a sense of her her trust in God at this point. Just one example from her her diary at the time she she wrote, "Oh my heavenly Father." I know that these contradictory events are permitted and guided by thy wisdom. Um, I think this really captures the disposition she had. But something unexpected had uh, happened while the Felicis took her in and were caring for her, which is they started to introduce her to the Catholic faith. Um, um, St. Elizabeth Ann Seton writes uh, in her diary that that initially um, she kind of laughed them off. Um, You know, she said, these these charitable Catholics are trying to push their, uh, (laughs) their faith upon me. Um, and so she didn't, uh, she didn't take it too seriously. Um, but, uh, but over time, certain things started to grow on her. It, it may be helpful to remember, you know, um, think about the, the society she was born in, the time she was born in. Um, and 
the the place in New York City society that she was born in. Um, Catholics were she knew Catholics only as um, as immigrants whose whose faith was looked down upon um, as being backwards and superstitious. And yet, meeting the Felicis really and and being in Italy totally changed things for her. Um, so the Felicis, Antonio and uh, Amabilia. Um, really struck her. So Amabilia would rise every morning at 4 a.m. for Mass and showed mm -hmm. her great devotion. Mm -hmm. And yet um, St. Elizabeth was also impressed by how cultured they were. Amabilia spoke five languages. Yes. Antonio had a background in philosophy. They introduced her to um, a friend of theirs who was a Jesuit priest. They gave her St. Francis's introduction to the devout life. They took her to visit churches. And, um, you know, she mentions um, that uh, this... Episcopalian priest who was, I think, her spiritual director that she was close to back in New York City had warned her not to be taken in by, um, you know, <laughs> the smells and bells of Catholicism. This is a kind of very 19th century warning. Um, mm -hmm. But um, Elizabeth, in visiting Italian churches, realized this isn't just smells and bells. This is actually a way of totally expanding my sense of worship, hmm. of glorifying God in a way I've, I've never thought of before. Um, she Maybe? says, oh, yeah. So a quick one, Wita, as I'm hearing this, potentially having been in in America, where she's coming from more an affluent family mm -hmm. and upbringing, what her experience of Catholicism is in America is it's more of a poor immigrant mm -hmm. culture community yes. and almost that bias against it. And exactly, yeah, it's just so it, Italy might have been one of the first times where she was able to see it. Um, in a new light. Yeah, it's it, it, um, it's interesting to think of other examples. I I, I know of this. Um, some people who might know a little bit about the history of Saint John Henry Newman too. Newman, who's also a great nineteenth-century convert, um, took a, a famous trip to Italy, and he had only known sort of working-class Catholics, mm -hmm. and then was suddenly exposed to this whole new. Uh, yes. life in Italy. So yes. this is kind of what happened to St. Saint, Saint Elizabeth when she was in Italy. I think it's a good point to highlight because we often take that uh, psychological and sociological just reality as we're trying to understand the minds um, and life of the saints, so, yes. of the culture in which they lived. Yeah. yeah. I'm also struck by thinking about, when I think about uh, Amabilia and Antonio, we don't know a whole lot about, but mm -hmm. um, I love knowing about the saints behind the saints. You know, Amabilia and Antonio are, are not canonized saints, but it's sort of like Augustine and Ambrose, you know. Mm -hmm. You learn so much about what Ambrose did for Augustine and have a greater appreciation for how yes. people mediate the faith to others. Yes. And, um, you know, the um, Antonio and Amabilia, they loved the faith. They carried it out uh, fully. W one of the other things St. Elizabeth was struck by is um, Amabilia's habit of fasting. Uh, mm -hmm. St. Elizabeth mentions that um, her Episcopalian priest back in New York City had said fa fasting was an outdated practice, um, that they didn't really do that anymore. But Elizabeth couldn't help but contrast the fast that Amabilia would undertake with her own sumptuous diet as a wealthy American, you mm -hmm. know. Um, or um, St. Elizabeth was also deeply struck by how Catholics revered the Eucharist. Yeah. That was, she, she mentions too in her diary, um, she yes. wrote, writes, all the Catholic religion is full of those meetings which interest me so. Um, and she mentions particularly how, she uses the word awful to describe how she approached the Eucharist um, because she was just blown away by it. Hmm. Um, and I think was deeply consoled by the reality, perhaps in the, and we can see this not as, um, you know, a kind of psychological, um, uh, I don't know, like, false comfort in the midst of her suffering, but a real comfort because she found that in the Eucharist 
was the highest expression she had ever known of God's desire to truly be present with her in the midst of her suffering. Hmm. Um, she recounts one story that when she was in Italy, um, a Eucharistic procession was passing by. And she just couldn't help it. She fell down in adoration. Um, and, you know, this was uh, totally foreign to her at the time. Mm -hmm. But all of these things left a deep impact on her. She didn't actually become Catholic while she was still in Italy, but she was deeply moved by it. Um, and she was moved by the family, you know, that in some ways they pressured her. Mm -hmm. um, but in other ways, you know, she writes that, the, that all um, Antonia would tell her over and over again was, was pray and inquire. Pray and seek, pray and seek, pray and seek. Wow. Um, and so this is, this is what had a big impact on her. So that when she went back to New York City, it wasn't long before she, um, she joined the church. Converted. That is fascinating to yeah. to take into consideration the depths of her suffering. Mm -hmm. Almost made her heart more ripe to embrace the Eucharist fully. If, yes. If yeah. it is true that you know Jesus is truly present in the Eucharist, why would I not want yes. to be in that religion where he's so close to our humanity? Yes. So. One of the things I I think that we see uh, with Saint Elizabeth's uh, conversion is that um, she has she experiences all of this profound suffering. And her response to it, at the same time though, her response to it isn't naive. She doesn't, she doesn't treat the suffering as if it wasn't a great affliction. Um, but she's able to hold simultaneously that the suffering is a great affliction without relinquishing her deep confidence in God. Hmm. And so for her, I think seeking the Lord's consolation um, is not a sign of weakness, but a sign of her strength. Um, you know, suffering, uh, suffering it's, is not alone sanctifying. Um, suffering invites, um, invites our deeper trust in God. And God sanctifies us through suffering because of our response to it and our response to him. And I think St. Elizabeth is a great example of that. Um, and and her, her suffering didn't just end when, um, you know, with these immediate tragedies of the death of her family members, because for her becoming Catholic was not um, was not well received when she was back in New York City. Um, the sense that I get from her life is that her family had a kind of, um, you know, well, we're okay with you being Catholic as long as you don't care that we become Catholic, to which, of course, St. Elizabeth couldn't simply let go. Um, mm -hmm. And so her family kind of tolerated her being Catholic as long as they thought that um, this was a sort of private thing that she just kept to herself. But this wasn't what St. Elizabeth's faith was like. She had an earnest desire to share the Catholic faith with others. I mean, mm -hmm. after all, you know, if she has such a love for the Lord, if she has such a love for the Eucharist, she couldn't help but want to share it with others. And so when some of her family and her husband's family kind of caught wind of the fact that she was um, uh, sharing the faith, especially with uh, her female relatives, mm -hmm. um, then she was kind of shunned from the family. And one of the things that St. Elizabeth tried to do to support her family after the death of her husband was teaching. And uh, But many of her efforts to teach and to found schools were thwarted because a lot of the um, Protestant parents feared that it was just a proselytizing effort. Um, so she found that a lot of people lost trust in her hmm. because of that. Did she work in a particular area where there were more Catholic families, I'm assuming? Eventually. So... Um, <laughs> So, you know, um, she, she has to eventually move out of New York City. She moves to Maryland. Um, and in, um, I think it's in 18, 1809, when she was 35, um, she ended up starting a congregation of sisters. Mm -hmm. um, 
you know, uh, again, another way that she responded to the Lord's call. Um, and simultaneously with starting the Congregation of Sisters, she started a Catholic girls' school. And St. Elizabeth cared deeply about education, deeply about providing education for girls, and especially for girls whose parents couldn't afford it. So one of the big missions of this school was to provide free education for um, children. Now, the, the interesting thing, it's almost hard for us to picture, you know, so many things going on in this woman at the same time. Yes. She's um, a mother of her religious community and a mother of her children. And she's leading this school. Um, one of the ways she made it happen, though, is that um, she brought her daughters into her own school um, so that they could still uh, be connected there. And her boys went to, I think, a nearby uh, Catholic school. Um, That's smart. I'll yeah. yeah. Whip you into the school that I'm creating. Yes. yes. <laughs> well, so. I'll, yes, responding to God's uh, direction with that. With that. Fascinating. I'm very struck by how many motifs in her life just resonate so much with with us today um, in even just tension in family life when maybe you're fresh into your conversion yeah. of the faith and the adversity you face. Um, that I would love for you to repeat one more time what you were mentioning about consolation because I didn't fully understand that. Oh, yeah, that. sorry. But um, in the, yeah, times of despair or tragedy and suffering, it was a part of her strength to yeah, seek what consolation I meant was, in you know, okay, let's say someone wanted to, um, uh, let's say someone looked negatively up at St. Elizabeth's life for some for some reason. And, and they might think, um, oh, well, oftentimes people undergo, you know, great religious upheavals uh, in order to, to sort of deal with, they can't deal with the stress of suffering. Mm -hmm. um, but I just don't think that matches the facts of Elizabeth's life. Um, that I think it's because she responded to suffering with a great desire to seek the face of God more and more, which mm -hmm. was consistent with her whole life. Mm -hmm. She had always wanted to know God more and more. Um, if I can share another quote she wrote Please. in her diary too, God has given me a great deal to do and I have always and hope always to prefer his will to every wish of my own. Mm -hmm. and this is her lifelong desire. Mm -hmm. So I think we can look at um, her conversion um, and the decisions she made in light of that and say, actually, no, these weren't accidents. Um, they really are consistent with, yes, they're prompted by her suffering, but they're really consistent with it. That, um, and that she seeks a deeper um, union with God, and that in itself is consoling. Yes, so, yes. Um, consistent with her, her constant search and looking and hunger to follow God and yes, yeah. um, his will in her life. And also struck how she and her husband were just doing the prudent business things like, let's go to Italy. Let's try to improve your health. Uh, yep. Let's look at, uh, meet with our, this business partner and how just almost in their human path, like, I don't know, that's where God encountered, that's where yeah. she encountered yeah. the faith. Yeah. And she was, she was just being obedient to her daily next step yeah. of um, what we need just for our family and how God is constantly pursuing us you know, within the reality of where we're at. Does that make sense? <laughs> yes. And maybe part of the reason I mentioned this is, you know, okay, I, I said at the start, she's um, <laughs> patron saint of people who are rejected for their faith, mm -hmm. um, among other things. Um, and you can imagine how, you know, her family met her conversion so skeptically. Mm -hmm. You went off to Italy, your husband died. Surely this is a, you know, um, maybe, you'll, maybe they thought you'll grow out of this. 
Uh, and that's what I mean about her yes. response not being out of weakness, but out of strength. Yes, thank um, you. Because it was consistent with her whole lifelong desire to know the Lord more and more. Absolutely. Um, so, and it was very fruitful too. Um, two of um, uh, two of Elizabeth's uh, Saint Elizabeth's sisters-in-law um, joined the church uh, later in her life. Okay. Um, and of course, her she became very fruitful as um, the head of this uh, congregation of sisters. Um, even though she died at a fairly young age, I think she was yeah forty six when she died. She was still yes. the superior. Okay. Um, when she died, still had a sense of humor too. She told her sisters when they elected her the superior um, that they were choosing someone already dead. Um, <laughs> but um, but she lived for two more years after the last time they elected her superior, and um, you know, and there's still so many people um, mm -hmm. mentioned at the start. Where do you start with Saint Elizabeth Ann Seton? There's mm -hmm. so many people who. You know, her work for Catholic schools, so much credit goes back to her. The Sisters of Charity that she started, um, so many people are moved by her example of conversion. Yes. Um, actually, if I can mention, on Formed, there's a really great short little 16-minute documentary about her life that I think if, if um, people listening really yeah. enjoy this and want to learn more about St. Elizabeth, um, there's so many resources, so many ways to learn about her. Yes. Um, yeah. No, that's wonderful. To capture, as you're mentioning, all the nuances of her life, all the different missions um, that she started. Is there anything else that you wanted to add about, you know, we, we talked about how, how she, she can be an intercessor for us in our, yeah. in, today or um, even other legacies of, of her life for the church today? I'm not the first one to make this point, but I think one of the reasons that St. Elizabeth Ann Seton stands out for a lot of people is because sometimes Catholics... They're looking for some a saint that they feel like they can relate to more. Mm -hmm. um, it's great to learn about, you know, um, I don't know, like Saint Bernard of Clairvaux, but I might think to myself, I'm just not cut out for that life, mm -hmm. um, or or Saint Thomas Aquinas. And I think, I, I, you know, I love learning about Saint Thomas, but um, surely uh, he lived a very different life than I could ever live. One of the things that's so striking about Saint Elizabeth Ann Seton is. She was a mother. She was mm -hmm. an American. She was. She had children. She underwent. Um, she underwent great suffering, um, but in some way, common suffering—the suffering of the loss of loved ones, mm -hmm. um, uh, sufferings that um, that all of us experience. Social um, persecution. Social persecution. Judgment, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, I think Saint Elizabeth Ann Seton is actually a saint that is really accessible for all of us. But one of the things that stands out to me, this is, I, I, I guess I've said this already, but mm -hmm. um, maybe to just drive it home is that um, I, I think one of the things that stands out to me is she experienced all this suffering in her life, but she wasn't weighed down by it. You can, it's, it's very easy. You know, I think all of us in our lives when we experience suffering, um, part of what happens is we have this, it's like a choice before us. Um, do we let the suffering define us and weigh us down? Mm. And do we let ourselves be defeated by it? Or do we see in God's providence um, an opportunity to trust him more deeply? And that's what how St. Mm. Elizabeth responded. All of the things that happened in her life, you, know, you could never have anticipated yeah. from earlier on. But so many graces that came to her because she was faithful in these very ordinary ways. That, I think that's very inspiring for, absolutely. for all of us Catholics. I yeah. know, and it, we, we all will experience that that choice at some point of do I fall into the despair yeah. or yeah. lean into uh, the faithfulness yeah. um, and trust in God. Uh, and you said she write, I didn't know she had diaries we could mm -hmm. read. I'm going to read this. Yes, <laughs> yeah. I wish I had brought it with me. but um, That's wonderful. Is it just yeah, called I, the diaries of St. Elizabeth? Yeah, I think, I, think, um, I, I'm, I think what I'm thinking of is a, a, a can, selection okay. um, that, that people can, can find. But if anyone wants to read more about yeah. um, 
I mean, there's, there are a lot of great resources online um, yes. because there's such a strong devotion um, to her in the U.S. And the Sisters of Charity are, you know, um, continue to do their work. Um, but her diaries uh, are also accessible for yes. um, for folks who want to learn more and um, and, you know, learn about her from her own voice. Yes, which is always a wonderful source. Yeah. I always feel so privileged when you have the opportunity. Um, and finally, I was just once again also struck by their friends of how I think we all have experiences of friends who have almost put these irresistible question marks of faithfully living to the faith that make you kind of just struck to reconsider your own life and how you're living different aspects of your faith. Like if they're so joyful or, you know, such mm-hmm. reverence, um, they just almost juxtapose what is often seen in the world and yeah. how can we also be like those friends, those saints behind the saints who yes, are nudging absolutely. people and planting seeds along the way. Yeah, I hope people who, you know, persevered at this point listening to this uh, episode, <laughs> um, I hope they learn from St. Elizabeth uh, and Seton, but I also hope they learn from her friends, from Antonio and Anamilia and others who yes. um, encouraged her along the way. Well, thank you. Thank you for that beautiful reflection about St. Elizabeth and Seton. And thank you for joining Thank you for being a dedicated listener to the Catholic Saints podcast. Your support truly uplifts us. For those seeking additional thought-provoking content, go to formed.org. It's a platform brimming with resources, including insightful videos that align seamlessly with our podcast's themes. If you're finding value in our podcast, please consider taking a moment to leave us a review. Your feedback serves as a cornerstone for our growth and outreach.